You know, uh, that's how God works, isn't it? He's sovereignly working behind the scenes. And you never know uh, what influence you'll have and how God is going to use it. That's really what the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, is about. That God has a sovereign plan that he's working out and using us uh, in that process. In, in the passage we're going to look at this weekend, uh, we're going to look at how God basically shows us three words that are really so, so, so important. The first word is hope. He basically says hope is so important. You, you can't live without hope. And the second word is inheritance. And it's an interesting concept of inheritance, one that I'm sure you haven't ever thought of, or maybe you've never thought of it. And the last one is power. Those three words is what he... And, and essentially what Paul's going to say is he's going to say, I, my prayer for you is that you would understand these three things, because when you understand these three things, it'll make all the difference in the world. And so we want to look at those, and we want to look at the passage. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'd love you to follow along with me. I want to read the passage uh, out loud, and uh, you can join me if you'd like. Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And let me just read through the passage, and then we'll talk about it. Paul is ready. In, in chapter 1, it's, it's almost like a doxological praise where he's just praising God, praying to God, acknowledging God. It's just this, this wild, you know, just, God, you're so incredible. You're so amazing. That's chapter 1. So that's why it's so hard to, you know, kind of break it down. He's, he's just so amazed by God. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, for this reason, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, there's the first word, to which you have been called, the riches of his glory, uh, riches of his glorious inheritance. There's the second word, in his holy people, and his incomparably great power. There's the third word, for us who believe. Then he describes that power. Notice what he says about it. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, what are the three words in our passage? The first one is the, the word hope the word hope. And only his hope will carry us in difficult times. And man, this year has been a year where we really needed to have a hope, right? A hope for a cure, a hope that we don't get it, you know, all this hope. And we, the problem is our English word for hope will not cover what Paul's trying to say. Our English word for hope is very anemic. It's kind of like wishful thinking, right? Well, I hope it happens, or, you know, I hope this, you know, you know, last week the fans of Seattle were saying, well, I hope we can beat the Bills. Yeah, that didn't happen. Sorry, I had to put a plug in there. Couldn't help myself. Um, but that's not what the biblical word hope means at all. The biblical word is a life 
shaping certainty. It's, this is going to happen. This is as sure as you know it. This is, this is rock solid. This, you can bank on this. That's, that's, when the Bible talks about hope, that's what it's talking about. It, it, it's a surety that can build, you can build your life on it. You can build your life on this kind of hope. You can see through difficult times and circumstances through this hope. So um, Paul writes about, or the writer of Hebrews writes about this hope. He talks about this surety. And th- this is what he says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. He says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. And basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying is we have this sure hope. And we have our faith in this hope. We believe in this hope. We trust in this hope that's coming. It's not a, well, I hope so, maybe. No, it's, yeah, it's going to happen. Hope is a certainty. And and, and we need this kind of confidence that directs and secures our life. You've heard of the story. Maybe many of you have heard of of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a a prisoner of war in a a German uh, camp, concentration camp. And he had many, many people that he knew and loved die as, uh, you know, the war went on and the camps were just cruel and awful places to be. And he said this, he said, if a prisoner lost faith in his future or hope, he was doomed. When you lose hope, you're doomed. Uh, Your belief in the future, the hope that you have will carry your heart or sink it. Um, it's the thing that, that forms. When peop- he, he essentially said when people lose hope, they lose life. They have nothing to live for. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you have family members that they've lost their job, they've gone through difficult times, and they've lost hope. And they have no fight in them. They have no reason to get out of bed. It's a difficult place to be. The problem is we put our hope in inferior things. We trust in things that, that can bring a certain amount of hope, but then they're going to fail us. Like, for instance, we hope in our job. We hope in money. We hope in a career. We hope in our family. We hope in our health, uh, status ac- accomplishments. But here's the problem. When your circumstances change or you go through suffering, you're going to become anxious, and you're going to worry, and you're going to lose hope. Now think about that. When any of those things you're trusting begins to fail, you're going to lose hope. It just makes sense. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we must have an anchor to our hope. Um, and he says this, we have this hope as an anchor for, our, for the soul, firm and secure. Let me ask you a question today. What's your anchor of hope? What are you anchoring your hope in today? You know, what is it that you say, this has to happen? Whom or what are you trusting in? Because if if it's not God, if you're not placing your hope in God, then you're going to, your circumstances are going to change and that's going to create a real problem. Because when, whatever you're placing your trust or your hope in, when that begins to crumble, your whole life will crumble. That's why so many times, uh, and I can only speak for guys on this, but a guy will retire or sometimes a guy will get fired from a job and he'll uh, have really no options. He'll have no idea of what he's going to do next. 
And his life begins to lose meaning and purpose. And he says, well, what happened? Well, you put too much weight on that. Because what does a job do for, for, for a guy many times? It gives them a feeling of significance, gives them a certain amount of security, right? You feel secure because you're able to take care of your family and stuff, and that's what guys feel, most guys feel compelled to do. And it gives you a certain amount of satisfaction when you go and do a good job and you're appreciated and affirmed for it. There's a point where you go, that's good, that's good. Paul's prayer, though, as we read this, and that's really what it is, a prayer, he says, I pray that you would have this eternal hope that will carry you both here and now and also when life gets just really stupid. Can we, can we acknowledge that life in 2020 has become pretty stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> you go, how much more stupid can it get? Well, you know, we don't know. The year's not over yet. But how can you smile and how can you grin and how can you laugh at it? You have to have a hope that buoys you above the stupidity, right? You have to have something that carries you higher than your circumstances. Um, that's the first word, hope. You can't live without hope. Paul says, I pray that you would understand the hope that you have. Secondly, he, he, he says, his inheritance, his inheritance. Now, what's interesting here is that we read this passage and we think of our inheritance. Oh, in Christ, I've inherited. I've been adopted. I'm part of a new family. I'm part of a new community. So I have an inheritance. This is an interesting part of the passage. And maybe you've read through this and you kind of, you know, when you read through it, and I'm somewhat this way that I don't, I miss a point or something. And as, he, and as I was reading through it you know, a number of years ago, I, I said, wait, 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 wait. That's not what it's saying. It's not talking about my inheritance. It's talking about God's inheritance. Now think about that. What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that you're going to get someday. It's generally, hopefully, it's a, you know, a large amount of money that will make life easier or whatever, or a house or property or whatever it is. It's something that you look at and you say, this is special, this is precious, this is significant, right? And you go, how does that work with God? Didn't he make everything anyway? Didn't he create the heavens and the earth, the stars, the moon, the universes, the earth? I mean, you know, all the, you know, all the planets. I mean, it's kind of like, what could he possibly have as an inheritance? And what difference does that make to us? Think about this. Let's just say that for some odd reason, Warren Buffett was on your Christmas list. Now, Warren Buffett is one of the richest men in the world. He's not the richest, but he's close. I mean, he only has about $77.5 billion. That's all. Billion dollars. Okay? And you, and you're on his, you know, you have his name. It's the secret Santa. And you have Warren Buffett. What do you get Warren Buffett? I mean, he can buy anything he wants. He can buy, Countries, small countries, probably. But you, you got to get him something. And you think long and hard, and you finally get him something. And uh, you mail it out, and you send it out to him. And he opens it up, and I can't tell you what it is, because I wouldn't have any idea what it was. But he, he opens it up, and he goes, 
oh, wow, this is so precious. This is amazing. This is wonderful. I can't believe you got this for me. How did you know? And he has all of these accolades around him in his office, and he sets the thing that you got him right center, and he looks at it every day, and he says, that's so cool. That's so cool. Do you, you see what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying that God has an inheritance that he looks at it and he goes, that is so cool. That is so amazing. That's so awesome. You know, you know what the inheritance is? It's, it's us. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I wish you could come to an understanding of the incredible inheritance, God's inheritance, how he views you, what he thinks of you. He says, of all the planets and all the stars and all the moon and the, the earth and the beauty of it all, of everything that he sees in creation, the one inheritance that he looks at so fondly and so lovingly is us. <laughs> Paul says, you need to know that. <laughs> you kind of got to wrap your brain around that. This is pretty important. His prayer is that we would be so affirmed by God is incredible. Don't we all need an affirmation? I feel like we live in a world where I, I sometimes have done this in the past when I'm counseling, sometimes couples I do this. I'll say, tell me about the last time somebody said something positive about you to you. <laughs> it's like, you know, people are thinking, 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 thinking. It's like a desert out there. I mean, think right now. When was the last time somebody said something just totally affirming to you? Loving, caring. They said something like, hey, Matt, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, how much I love you, how much I care about you. And just come out and say it or state things that they specifically love about you. I mean, I think if you're like most of the people that I've counseled, it's like they find it very, very hard to do. And my, my lesson to them is this. If you two who are getting married, generalist couples I meet with, if you two aren't doing it to each other, who will? If you're not affirming each other, who will? If, if you as parents aren't affirming your kids, who will? Because you know what? They have a lot of people around, your kids have a lot of people around them, friends, video, who aren't affirming them. Because they got their crap to fix and they got their messed up life and they can't even think about complimenting anyone. But we all need to be affirmed, don't we? And some of us, <laughs> we do this, right? Maybe you don't do it, but sometimes you get to a place where you're going through a difficult time or you have a difficult day or a difficult appointment and you look in the mirror and you say, you can do this. I believe in you. <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> you're going to make it. <laughs> you know, you do that. You, you, you affirm yourself and sometimes you have to do that. 
Sometimes it's great when other people affirm you. They say those positive things to your face. They just say, hey, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you, how much I care about you, how much I love you. And that will never change. And I hope as parents you're saying that on a regular basis to your kids. And you, you're saying things like, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy with you right now. But there's nothing that you will ever do that will break the fact that I absolutely love you and will always be in your corner and will always love you. There'll never be anything you can do to break that or wreck that. Nothing. Don't try it. But it's not going to happen. We need people like that. We need that affirmation. And, and so sometimes we expect that. You know, we, you know, kids go, Mom, Dad, I expect you. You're my parents. You're supposed to say that. But what happens when a coach says it? What happens when a teacher says it? What happens when a friend says it? You know, and means it and can point out to specific things, right? What happens? Have you ever had this happen? I had this happen in a negative way. Have you ever heard, have you ever kind of come close to somebody who's talking about you, but they don't know you're there yet, and they don't see you? So I had this situation when I was in college, and I did, it wasn't my fault, but there was a misunderstanding with a car, and I didn't steal it. Okay, let's just say that. And I was in a Bible school, and... I was in the library and the doors of the, I was getting ready to go on the, the elevator and I heard the dean of students talking about me to someone else in power. I haven't, and this is what I heard, I haven't talked to him yet, but by the way, I was an RA too. I haven't talked to him yet, but a police friend of mine called me and informed me of it. Now I didn't do anything wrong, really, and I don't have time to go into the whole story. But when I heard him say that, and I was out of sight, I go, this is not an elevator I should get on right now. He never did have a conversation with me. It got straightened out. It was nothing. But have you ever wandered up to a conversation where somebody is saying something so super positive about you, and you hear someone else say it unsolicited, do you realize the affirmation of your Father in heaven is that? Uh, let, let me give you an example. Do you remember the baptism of Jesus? So Jesus being baptized, Matthew chapter 4, it says that John is arguing with him, I should be baptized by you. No, you know, let it happen as so. And, and John, you know, leads Jesus. They're down in the Jordan River. And John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water and 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 two things happen. Number one, the Spirit of God comes down upon Jesus like a dove. Remember that? And then there's one other thing that happens. I always say the Trinity is in keep, in keep moments of Jesus' ministry on earth, you see the Trinity manifested. So you have Jesus, of course, second person of the Trinity. You have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, coming down like a dove. And you have what else? A voice from heaven. What does a voice from heaven say? This is my beloved Son. What? In whom I'm well pleased. In whom I'm well pleased. 
What is Jesus doing there? Well, he's following in the waters of baptism. He's following the Father's plan. He says over and over, my will is to do the will of my Father in heaven. He says, I don't speak my words, I speak the will, words of my Father in heaven. I believe that when we follow the pattern of Jesus in heaven, our Father says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Paul says, I want you to understand the inheritance that you have. It's not your inheritance, it's his inheritance. And he sees you as his pride and joy. In my office, I have pictures of my kids and my grandkids. You probably do too in your house. They're your pride and joy, right? You look at them and you think, oh, you know, that one's a rascal. Their parents are going to, they're going to have a challenge with that one. But I love that kid. Here's the third one. So, you got to have hope. You got to understand that you have this hope, right? Number two, you got to understand that you're his inheritance, and you're the pie in his eye. You're, you're just—he just is like amazed by you. He loves you. And then number three, his resurrection power equips us. So, in the last chapter, Paul's going to talk about. We're going to get to that probably next year where Paul talks about this spiritual battle. He says, you don't wage war against flesh and blood. You're waging war against powers and principalities and forces of evil. And, and essentially what Paul's saying is there's another dimension. There's a spiritual dimension to life. We hear it. We see it. We sense it. But we can't literally touch it. We see evil. We see the signs of, of it. We, 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 can, we know it's there. We know that there's behavior that we can't explain. And we go, what is going on there? And, and here's, here's, the, here's the mistake we make. We think that this, this conflict we're having at work is a human conflict between flesh and flesh and blood. It's me and the boss. It's me and a coworker. We think that the neighborhood conflict that I'm having with one of my neighbors is, is a human conflict. We think that this conflict I'm having in my marriage is a human conflict. It is. But behind that human conflict is a spiritual conflict. And if you do not recognize that, you are a sucker. You're being drawn in. You're being used. How many times have you gotten into an argument and it is, you've allowed it to escalate, 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 escalate. And you say, where's the fuel coming from? Why am I getting more and more amped up? Why am I getting more and more upset? Why am I getting, why am I losing it? And you look back and you, you, you are ashamed of your behavior and you say, how could I have allowed that to happen? And the answer is you've allowed the enemy to get a hold of your heart and your passion, and your anger. And you don't demonstrate anymore the fruit of the Spirit. You demonstrate the fruit of the flesh. Divisiveness and division and anger and all those terrible things. And basically, Paul says, you have to understand there is an incredible battle going on that you can't see. And so you need to be praying about it and you need to be alert to it because it's happening all around us. We have an enemy that wants us, and here's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants you to question God's goodness. Didn't he do that with Eve? He says, did God really say that? Come on, he's holding on. And he really doesn't want you to have a good life. Or he wants you to give up hope. 
There's no hope. There's no, I mean, watch the news for 20 minutes. You'll lose hope quick, the first five. Uh, walk, they, the, the enemy wants you to walk away over dumb little things. We've had people leave the church, and I was on a conference this last two days. A number of pastors were part of it. And they said the same thing that we've seen. Some people have just walked away. They've gotten angry about this or that, and they've decided to go to another church because they're upset and they're angry over little dumb things. What, what Paul's saying is we need to see the battle behind the scenes in our world, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our schools, in our churches. Yes, even in the church. Isn't that what's going on? As you read the New Testament, you find in 1 Corinthians, you've got a real battle going on in that church. Paul writes to the churches in, Revelate, in the book of Revelation. And, and each church, there's a little bit of a battle going on. There's a little bit of a struggle going on. And, and, and the point I want you to see is there's this ongoing spiritual battle taking place. And you're either a pawn in it or you're a warrior. Paul says what? Put on, in chapter 6, he says, put on the full armor of God. Get the shield. Get the sword. Be a warrior. Don't be a pawn. Be engaged. Don't be a putz. Don't fall for it every time. Now, it's interesting because Paul uses four words here on power, Greek words. It's verse 21. Let me read it to you. He says, all rule, that's the first word, and authority, that's the third word, the second word, power, that's the third word, and dominion, and, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. So he uses four words for power here. And so rule, the first word, is basically saying that God's power is above all rule, all rank. There's no power above him. There's no, like, I'm the middle guy. He's the top dog. He, there is no power greater than his. Authority, he's unlimited in his power. There are no limitations. Have you ever had this situation uh, as a parent that you want to do something for your children or for someone else. Well, I say your children. But you can't. You don't have the power. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the ability. You don't have the resources to do it. God isn't limited by that. God not only wants to bless us and help us and encourage us and walk with us and all that. He doesn't just want to. He can do it. Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you and and they broke it? They didn't break it because they didn't want to do it. They broke it because they couldn't do it. In the end, they didn't have the power to do it. The third word is authority, that, there, that God never lacks authority. He doesn't ask, have to ask somebody for, for, for permission. He's not held sway by Satan. Satan's already been defeated. He, he, God never lacks the ability to exercise his authority. And then the last word, uh, the, 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 the word power here is all spiritual and angelic powers. That there's no spiritual power, there's no spiritual force that is above God's. God isn't, you know, some uh, faith, some religions practice uh, one, for instance, that's big uh, across, it's in Utah, I won't mention it, the Mormons. But um, essentially they believe that there is... Jesus was the good son and Satan was the bad son and Jesus was begotten or made and Satan was begotten or made and there's this cosmic battle going on. No, no, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
the Bible teaches that, that God is God, Lord of Lords, that he, is in, he has power over all the principalities, powers. And that's essentially what Paul's saying here. And then dominion, that God's, uh, this is God's world that he calls the shots. Now, you know, we're living in the in-between time where it seems like a lot of bad things are happening, right? You say, well, if God is in control, why doesn't he intervene? Well, I don't know why he doesn't intervene personally, specifically. And that's really a problem, isn't it? We struggle with that. We say, well, my dad or my mom my, has cancer. My child has cancer. I'm going through this difficult time. I need this job. God, will you intervene? And sometimes God does and sometimes God doesn't. We don't know why. We feel as though God should intervene. What we do know and what scripture does tell us, two things. Number one, he says, sometimes God just allows us to go through those times, but he understands what we're going through because Jesus went through times like that. And he, we go to a, we, we talk to a God, we relate to a God who understands what it is to suffer, to, to feel pain, to be, uh, just denied, to be abandoned by friends, to be spoken uh, badly of to his own family at one point. But we also have a God who basically says to us, I'm going to set things right. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. One day I'm going to set things right. There's going to be a final judgment. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a fix forever. Um, so what is the point of this? Two things. Number one, I think too many times we try to take things into our own hands that we should leave to God. I think sometimes we, I think sometimes we don't pray enough. We try to do too much. Now there are times where we just need to get off our butts and we need to just do something. But there's too many times, I think, that we try, to, we try to fix things on the human level and we don't understand that God says, I have power to help you here. Have you asked me? Have you checked in with me? Have you brought it before me? Are you acknowledging me in this situation? Um, the point I want you to see is, why does Paul use four words on power here? I think he does it to say God's abundant power, the resurrection power of Jesus, is available to all of us. Not just to a few of us, not just to some of us, not just to the elite, the Green Beret Christians. <laughs> to all of us. But it's a well that we don't often go to, right? We don't think about the spiritual dimension of things. We only think on the horizontal level. And Paul is going to say all through this letter, if you do that, you're not understanding the battle. You're on a battlefield. You're in a war. You're on enemy territory. And if you don't walk around knowing that and understanding that, you are a putz. One last thing. How do you live with hope? I want to just focus on hope for a minute because I think we, we need hope, don't we? How do we live with hope? Well, 
we look at the look at the example of Jesus. Let me read you a portion of Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. And this is talking about Jesus. He said, it says this, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame. Can you imagine what it must have been like? I, I, just the, 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 the physical abuse that he took, the emotional abuse, the hurling of insults. If you're the son of God, take yourself down, being spat upon, being mocked, being beaten, all those different things, all the ridicule. But it says, for the joy set before him, he endured it. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever? We do this in a very, very small way. So maybe we have this tough, difficult task that we have to do. And we say, well, I'm going to do this task, but then I'm going to get myself a nice coffee. By the way, the coffee truck is out back uh, or out front as you leave. If you want to grab a coffee on the way home, you know, have it and enjoy it. But you do that. You say, I'm going to get myself a coffee, but I'm going to do this hard thing first. And the joy of the coffee, I'm just going to think about the joy of the coffee getting me through this whole thing. Do you do that stuff? I, you know, I do that stuff from time to time. Yeah. Piece of pie or something, you know, for the piece of pie, you know, I'll endure this. You know, you do something like that on a much, much bigger level. What it's saying is for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Well, what was the joy set before him? Do you remember when I talked about God's inheritance a while ago? And I said, the one thing that God has on his desk is your picture. And he looks at it and he goes, man, <laughs> what a great inheritance. Great. It's you. For the joy set before him, you. Knowing where, what would happen and the outcome, the full, as everything plays out. He says, for that, he willingly went to the cross. That was his cup of coffee. That was his piece of pie. That's was how he endured. He saw you there. How do you have hope? You have hope because you realize that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. We saw it in the video. We see it in our lives every day. That though our life in the world sometimes things like it's up and down and left and right. We're on the seas that keep changing. God has a plan. We have the, we have the final score. The book of Revelation is the final score. We win. We may be down in the fourth quarter, going in the fourth quarter. But the fourth quarter is a good quarter for us. We do really well in the fourth quarter. And we win. We come from behind. And basically what, what Paul is saying is, I want you to know three things. I want you to know that there's a hope. That when you look at that hope and you realize that it's not some flimsy, namby-pamby hope, it's a real hope. Bank on it. There's an inheritance that God is looking for and it's you. He looks at you and he goes... This is great. This is better than anything I have. And you have power. God has given you power today. So don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. Ask for help. Those three words will change our lives, won't they? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the way you love us. And Father, whether we're in-house right now or online, whether we're listening or watching later on, uh, I just believe you're speaking to hearts today. Whatever the biggest 
top one or two issues or problems are, I pray that we would, number one, pray about them. That we would see ourselves as you do, your prized possession. That we would set this hope before us. And though, Father, the world seems like it's rising and falling and difficult days are you know, about us, we pray that we would understand the hope that is promised us and may that carry us today, tomorrow, and the weeks to come. Because we don't know what they hold, but we know that you have a plan. They're in your hands. And that's encouraging for us. Father, thank you for Jesus who, for the joy set before him, us, he endured the cross. And if somebody maybe like Hunter is it watching or listening and they don't know what to do, maybe they could pray a prayer like this. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to save me from my sins. I realize I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to give my life to you because you gave your life to me. And I want to begin a journey with Jesus. I don't know what that means. But I want to follow him. And I want to know him. And Father, if they prayed that prayer, I pray they'd let somebody else know that they prayed that prayer. Thank you for loving us, Father. Thank you for the encouragement from your word. Thank you that you have a plan for our week. That you have divine appointments and opportunities. Help us to see them, but help us to also see that behind the conflict this week, there's a spiritual dimension. Help us not to be drawn into it. Help us to see and to be alert. And help us to be good representations of your sons and daughters this week. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.